everybody, Keith Rainwater here on your Designated Drummer Podcast, and with me today, I'm actually in Austin, Texas right now, sitting here next to a really good friend of mine that I've known for longer than I've been in Lone Star, and longer than I've even known the guys in Lone Star, most of them, um, Mitch Ballard, and he is the head of the senior director, senior, senior creative director of BMI in Austin. Well, How's Keith, it going? It's going well, bud. It's great to see you here and in Austin and uh it's warmer here than I actually thought that I thought it was going to be I didn't even bring any shorts or anything I flew here and I'm just wearing like long pants and well two weeks ago it was covered in ice here so uh you, you came here at the right time <laughs> all right yeah perfect I wish I would have brought my one wheel but I did not bring my one wheel because I flew here I see those all over town here yeah I know it's those great like isn't so it? much fun I'm afraid I'd break my neck though I was <laughs> I was riding here one time and a friend of mine and I were riding and we inspired a guy to buy one I mean he was like saying hey what is that thing and we were talking to him for a little bit he tried it out and then uh, from what I heard he uh, he kept in touch and he actually bought one and he's one of the riders here now they look so, so. much fun and you know the great thing about Austin is they have all these bike trails and uh, this and, and big trail and uh, you know and sidewalk system around town that uh, you know, you can bike on, you can one wheel, you can hike, you can run. It's it's really really cool. I mean, I would I lived downtown um, for a couple of years, right on the on the on Town Lake or Lady Bird Lake downtown, and I'd walk out of the back of my apartment and I would ride my bike 17, 18, 20 miles on a Saturday and it's never. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's just you know, so yeah. It's incredible. And right by the river there, you know, it's beautiful. There's yeah. People out jogging and stuff like that. It's a great vibe down here. Yes, and it I, is. I want to talk about Austin a little bit later when we're talking about what brought you here and the vibe about Austin. And I'll share a little story with you about how I was almost going to move here one time. But first of all, um, I've known you. The first time I knew you, you were a tour manager. You were actually, that's when I really got to know you. But even before that, you were a singer in a band, and you actually opened for us in Canyon. And of course, I didn't know you then, but I knew yeah. I'd seen your face, and I'd probably met you before. But uh, back in that busy time when I was in Canyon, uh, yeah, you reminded I, me that that you had opened up for us. Yeah, I had a had a band. You know, I was a guitar player and background vocals when I was going to University of North Texas, and you know, you guys, Canyon. I mean, y'all were the hottest thing in Texas, and that was such a cool thing for us. I think it was around 1990, maybe 91. And uh, we got to open up for you guys at the Potlatch Festival in Carthage, Texas. And man, we just thought that was so cool. What was your at that time? What was your band like? I don't I don't remember. It was um, country, just just normal like playing yeah like, cover songs or whatever. Yeah, and we did you know a few original things. You know, just starting to write songs back then. I've been writing songs for a couple of years at that point, probably three years. And you know, so we would you know do Randy Travis and George Strait and Merle Haggard and you know throw in our three or four original songs and. You know, it was... Uh, you were full-time then? Your, your band was full-time, or were you doing, like, weekends, or...? We were weekend warriors. You know, I was going to University of North Texas, and I um, was a broadcast journalism major, and was uh, also working radio at the time in between band gigs and such, and, you know, we were just like anybody, you know, young young guys and you know, very early 20s, and wanted to put a band together and, and start playing around. You know, we played, you know, some of the smaller yeah. clubs, and... In uh, the Dallas area, you know, we never got got big, yeah. but um, and you hit it right fun, then at a time when Dallas was kind of starting to dry up a little bit. Now I always talk tell the story that I grew up in Dallas and playing all these clubs and in the Bank Canyon and all that, and we could you could as a band make a living in Dallas playing all these clubs live music, and then something happened in the early '90s where uh, there was Garth had come out and. And there was a lot of dance music going on around Dallas. And uh, once the clubs learned that they could just hire a DJ and they only had to pay one guy, they didn't have to put up with a whole band and all this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, taking breaks and all that. They could just let the DJ play. Um, a lot of these clubs started going to DJs. And then a lot of the musicians here in Nashville, a whole nucleus of about probably 20 or 25 of us, all kind of migrated up to Nashville because yep. the, the live music industry here in Dallas, I want to say it dried up, but it, it was just getting to where you couldn't make a, it was harder to make a living. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was a large group of guys that got record deals out of there. You know, there was Woody Lee, there was Ricky Lynn Gregg, um, Trace Atkins. Yep. Trace Atkins, Jim Collins, you know, easy money. Which they went by Toby back Keith. then. It was Toby Keith was the lead singer and all those guys started getting picked up out of Nashville you know, as well, and, you know, we're going to Nashville to, to record. You know, Toby Keith and Easy Money opened up for us the same that y'all did, you know. <laughs> they, they were like, well, we're opening for Canyon. Yeah. And uh, look at him now, man. 
That's right. Awesome. Yeah, he's done pretty well, hasn't he? <laughs> so that brings me to another question about um, what is what is BMI? And uh, in case people don't know what that is, um, to explain to us a little bit about what BMI does. Mm-hmm. I know it's like ASCAP, but it's a little bit different. Yeah. Well, you know, we're competitors to ASCAP. Um, and so we are a performance rights organization. And we track, you know, originally our job was to track radio airplay and collect those royalties and distribute them to the songwriters and publishers. Now, what we've seen happen over the past 25 years, you know, with the Internet um, is, you know, we now collect, you know, for streaming. And that's Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, etc. It's YouTube. It's Facebook. It's Instagram. Um, you know, back in the day, MySpace, you know, all these digital platforms now where there's music. Um, TikTok, wow, and such, yeah. and you know, also it's you know, per federal copyright law, any place of business that has music is required to pay a licensing fee. Yeah, because and, those people that make that music, uh, they're making their living uh, using your music basically right. to create an, an atmosphere. So that right. costs money. Yeah, and so it's everything from you going to the gym to walking to a coffee shop walking into a department store, you know, the airport, wherever you hear music, um, per federal copyright law, they're supposed to pay, uh, you know, BMI, ASCAP, CSAC, and um, we collect those royalties. We've been around since 1939, and down here in Texas, I love telling people that uh, Willie Nelson has been with us since 1959. So we're in our 83rd year of business, and he's been with us 63 years. Of those, yeah, Yeah. wow, that's incredible. (laughs) Man, um, so, and um, I learned this a long time ago because I was curious back in the early 90s or whatever, um, and I asked somebody that actually worked for, or no, I'm sorry, I knew a club owner, a guy, I was working for a club owner in Denton, and he was saying, yeah, those BMI guys are coming by, so they're going to come collect whatever, you know, so just tell them that blah, 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 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and I thought, oh, they actually have people that go like door to door to these places, and they make sure that they're they pay. We have a very large team that, you know, that uh, has relationships with these businesses to, you know, ensure they're in compliance with federal copyright law. Yeah. So they just go in. How often do they go in and check up on them? Or yeah, I'm not sure. Only when they need to. Kind of. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure how often they go in. But, you know, we have a couple hundred people that uh, that that is, you know, it's part of our general licensing uh, department. And that's solely what they do. So um, I remember back uh, a story about, uh, and I just wanted to know your thoughts on this and how this could happen and all that, and uh, if how legitimate this is. Um, so the band, the Black Keys, I was a big fan of them when they came out, and I read that they basically got their start through publishing, basically. So they, they got together, and they, it was a drummer and a guitar player, the Black Keys, um, they got together, they recorded a demo, they got picked up by a little indie record label, and they said, you know, well, you know, we want to sell your album, but you have to go out and tour. And they said, well, we don't have a band, it's just the two of us. Well, go work it out, do, do whatever you got to do. So they were out touring, playing these little bitty clubs, and they were kind of considered not really punk, but they were playing some of these punk clubs, you know, because it was just the two guys, and they were, their kind of music was a little bit edgy. And uh, I think that's what people liked about them. And then they weren't making very much money, but then they got an offer to uh, put their one of their songs as recorded, like not re-recorded, like right off of their album on some big like Cadillac commercial or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they actually turned it down a couple of times. Their manager, their so-called manager, told them, "Don't do it. You'll be you'll be selling out, and all of your your followers will hate you and all that." So there was that whole thing. Um, and so finally, the drummer. Pat, he just finally said, "Look, how many people are we alienating anyway? We don't have we don't have about 200 fans, or maybe not even that much. So let's do this. The money is more than we make in a year touring yeah. this little <laughs> pathetic tour we're doing. Let's do it." So they did it, and then that was right about the time YouTube had come out in 2004, five, something like that. And then people would see these commercials on YouTube and go, "Hey, wh- who's that band in there?" And then they got famous based on the music they're publishing based on the songs that they... Sync license. Yeah, sync license, Mm -hmm. exactly. And then people started knowing who they were and they started selling more records. Yeah, there's shows like, you know, One Tree Hill was, you know, very well known for placing an act that was not necessarily very well known then. And they're, you know, the the listeners, you know, the viewers of the group was so large, you know, the amount of people watching One Tree Hill that, you know, hit songs came out of that. Um, another one is, you know, my first trip to Nashville, I moved to Nashville in 92. Right. And, but in 91, I took a trip with some other musicians and 
buddy of mine had won this singing contest and we won like three hours in the studio in Nashville and he, you know, it was a contest in Houston. So we drove to Nashville, did this little session and, um, the keyboard player had a cassette tape of the proclaimers and we listened to that all the way from Denton to Nashville and back and just, it was such a great album that, you know, it was, it was uh, twins from like Scotland or some, or Ireland, Ireland, one of the two. And they, didn't get a hit off of it. And like four years later, the movie Benny and June comes out. Okay. Right. With, with Johnny Depp and that song, I Would Walk 500 Miles, or, you yeah. know, that was in the movie. And next thing you know, it was a big hit. And that album, that song was like four years old. Um, so you do have those situations where, you know, a, a song gets a, a sync license in a TV commercial, in a movie, in a TV show, and it explodes and next thing you know everybody wants to know you know what that song is uh down here especially uh the music supervisor for the show yellowstone um she is a very big fan of the texas based and oklahoma based you know texas country and red dirt artists down here and she's been placing a lot of artists there and you know more most recently shane smith and the saints um had their song only see you in the in Yellowstone and they saw a significant increase in spins and follows on Instagram and such and now also too you have these stars breaking out on TikTok and you know they put a song out and so on TikTok a whole song like the whole song or is it a short snippet it's a, it's short a short snippet, snippet yeah. but you know they sing part of the original song and and next thing you know it you it go on Spotify and you look it up and, yeah. and you you get the whole song okay yeah so you know music discovery now is a whole lot different than it was, you know, previous decades where, you know, you had to listen to the radio and if the DJ didn't play the song, you didn't hear it. And, yeah. you know, that's been a you know big advantage of the digital age is, uh, you know, independent artists are able to, you know, get discovered without necessarily, you know, having a big record label. Yeah, I love stories like that where people nowadays... Um, when they didn't have a prayer in the world, there's no record deal, no manager's going to take them. But they just put something out, and it just happens to tug on people's heartstrings mm-hmm. enough to where uh, they become somebody. You know, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And people like you guys who will actually collect on the the uh, royalties and things like that through mm-hmm. streaming and all that, then you allow people like that to make a living, which that's is a, really yep. awesome. Yeah, exactly right. You know, you can go affiliate with BMI online for free. You know, you can use these platforms, you know, like TuneCore to distribute your music. You can, you know, there's equipment now where you can make it at home. You know, there's, you know, there's pros and cons of, you know, of doing it at home. I mean, you know, going into a big studio, like, you know, you have your whole career, there's some, you know, incredible advantages of it. But, you know, if if someone does not have that budget at all, but they buy a program and, and they learn how to use it right and they create music, they can get it out to the, to the public, you know, via the internet now and it's it's been a game changer you know the good thing about music is that breaking the rules is a cool thing now so the young mm-hmm. kids i notice young people they love music that sounds like it's homespun you know like made and i think that's what made the black keys going back to them that's what made them so popular is because their music it wasn't to a click track it wasn't in a big studio matter of fact they recorded their albums on a little digital eight track recorder and from what i remember reading is they only had one or two microphones like (laughs) cruddy microphones in uh the drummer's garage that they recorded their first album on and uh and of course they moved into uh bigger studios as they went along but they kept that same uh, vibe of like we just did it ourselves kind of thing you know yeah i think young people dig that you know they do and and also you know um there's something cool about discovering a band you know, and telling all your friends about it before they're big. Right. You know, it's like, like you know, you you hear somebody and you get turned on to them. And uh, I was having lunch with a buddy the other day, and we were talking about the you know a couple of bands that we you know were able to see. Usually, you know, they were either in a small club or you know in a support slot. You know, for not necessarily a huge band, and um, and they you know exploded and you know yeah. you, you got to see him before yeah you got bragging rights like that's it. i discovered them i was one of the first listeners to them yeah yeah that's awesome well man i have i just want to tell our our listeners that i'm in your office right now here in austin and it is amazing i'm going to post some pictures on my um on my newsletter 
and uh, I, I just have to share what this place looks like. You get to come into this place every single day. Okay, so I'm just going to describe and look around. You have a really nice desk. It's a big open area. That's why it sounds so echoey in here. Um, you've got a big sitting area there. You've got a couple of guitars and an amp. Do you just pick those up and play them whenever you want? Yeah. Is that really? <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. That is so cool. Especially if I'm listening to some music and... And, you know, I hear some real cool chord progressions yeah. or some interesting melodies, and yeah. i got to reach over there. And you got a little patio here that you can yeah. go out and smoke cigars. Do you, uh, are you still actively involved in songwriting? And do you, is this your writing room, basically, kind of thing? You know, I've, I went for a long time and, and didn't write, but, you know, moving back to Texas and, you know, getting back to where I'm from and such, you know, I, I got inspired again. And so, yeah, I've been, I've been writing some with, you know, some people down here, and I'm enjoying, you know, getting back on... Uh, getting back on the songwriting bicycle, you know, and get to riding again. That's cool. Yeah, because it really is kind of like a, um, anything else that takes practice, you know. Uh, the more you do it, the better at it you get. The, the longer you stay away from it, the, more, the longer it takes to kind of get back into it. Yeah, you know, the, the creative mind, you know, it's just like any other muscle. You know, if you want to, you know, if you want to, you know, be, you know, a scratch golfer, you know, you've got to go to the range and hit balls after balls after balls and get lessons, you know. And play with some better golfers, too. Play right? with some yeah. better golfers, you know. And, and um, you know, if you want to, you know, go run a marathon, you just don't get up one morning and go, hey, I'm going to run a marathon today. So you got to work that, you know, creative mind um, just like, you know, you work any other sports, you know, or anything like yeah. that. You know, if you want to be good at it, it's good to at least be creative daily. You don't have to write a song every day, but write down some ideas or, you know, read books or just, you know, observe what's going on around you. And, you know, I always used to love and still do, you know, listen to, to people talk when you're in a restaurant or a bar, you know, they say, you know, the things that, you know, spark Inspire ideas. You, yeah. How important is it to jot down or make a memo or something of the idea when you first get it? Because I've, I'm real bad about having a great idea and I don't write it down. And then later I can't remember what the idea was. Well, you know, back in the day, and it's funny, when I was moving, you know, back to Texas from Nashville, I was going through a bunch of boxes just to get rid of a bunch of stuff that I didn't think I needed anymore. And I ran across a box that had all these cocktail napkins in it, you know, and had song ideas written down. So in the old days, you know, you're sitting at the bar and you look up at the bartender and, hey, I need a, a pen. And, you know, yeah. you grab a cocktail napkin and write down a song idea. You know, now um, I actually email the idea to myself and I have a folder in my personal email address that's called song ideas so you, at any time you can just go in and just look them up you know yeah yeah i went sat down with a with a guy here in town gabriel rhodes you know very well known here and and uh you know i just opened up that folder on my phone in my gmail and started going through it and you know we came across an idea and um and turned around and wrote a, a song about it and that's cool and the great thing about songs too is you know if you write a you never know what something I just I got a song cut last year by Jeannie Seeley, you know, mm -hmm. the Grand Ole Opry star. And uh, yesterday was the anniversary of her winning her Grammy in 1967. She cut a song of mine that I wrote 26 years ago. Really? I mean, that's half of my life ago. Did yeah. you demo it back then? And you yeah. still had the demo and you just sent it to her? You know, of the, my co-writer played in her band for a while and oh, pitched it to her and she held on to it for eight years. Wow. And then it's a Western swing song, you know, so it's got to be, you know, a special project to do that. And, um, yeah, you know, so, you know, here I didn't, didn't write for much, you know, I probably didn't write a song for six, eight years and start writing again. And then the song I wrote 26 years ago, just, you know, got it's resurfaced. Cut. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So cool. And you see, he's playing it on the Opry and Willie's Roadhouse on, on Sirius XM and it's really cool. So you never know. Okay, so I, I was talking a little earlier about Austin and the vibe here in Austin, and I wanted to share a story with you. Uh, not a big story, but, but uh, back in the 80s, in 1985, I think is when it was, 84, 85, I think it was 85, um, a bass player friend of mine and I were playing down in Corpus Christi. We were from Dallas. We still lived in Dallas. And we were playing down in Corpus Christi with a band, and we had a couple of days off. It was one of those Tuesday through Saturday things, you know, mm -hmm. and then playing a club, and then you had Mon uh, Sunday and Monday off. So we decided... Corpus Christi wasn't that far. We had driven down there, so we had our cars. We decided to go to Austin and just go listen to some bands. We heard there was a good band on 6th Avenue called the Austin All-Stars. And a friend of mine who'd been there and seen them said, dude, you have to go see this band, the Austin All-Stars. It's a bunch of road musicians. 
the the whole band is probably like 20 something people but only like five or six at a time and when someone else goes out on the road with willie or some like that then somebody else steps in and they've got like two or three bass players that they can call on at any time but they're great they do r&b they do like current like straight ahead rock and roll mm-hmm. that kind of like the cars and stuff like that and so we went and saw them and that night uh there was um they said well the austin all-stars are going to play one set and then tommy two-tone is coming up <laughs> and we're like what and they said, yeah, and this, and now if you remember in '85, uh, uh, Jenny, Jenny, eight, six, seven, five, three, four, and whatever it is, there you know, yep. uh, that song had only was only a couple of years old, mm-hmm. so it was still like on the radio and all that stuff. So we got the treat of sitting there drinking a beer in on Sixth Street in Austin and watching Tommy Two Tone do a whole set, and then the Austin All Stars come up and play afterwards and it was just such a great time and great vibe that we bass player and i we we vowed that we were going to move to austin we said we this is so something about how open and creative and just so the vibe of austin would just had this vibe to it where you felt it was like a little la at the time yeah. like la you could just be anybody you wanted you could do anything you could dress any way you wanted you could like and i remember in austin uh we were here it was during the day we were just kicking around here uh, before waiting for the club to open or whatever. And um, we saw a mail, a person delivering the mail, and she had a, a a long, no, it was a guy, I think it was a guy that had a long ponytail. And I thought, I've never seen a mailman before that had a long, you know, like braided ponytail. And I thought, that's just Austin for you, you know. It is. And just so creative and vibe and all that. So we vowed that we were going to move there, uh, however long it took, you know, but we never did it. We just never got the courage to just up yeah. and move and all that stuff but well this town is always you know that that saying keep austin weird you know this was a place that people could come and be who they wanted to be and and live how they wanted to live and and make the music that they wanted to make right and you know especially back in you know 60s 70s 80s you know if you moved to nashville you and you want to be successful, you need to play country music. There's a mold. There's a certain mold that yep. you had to fit as a player or a songwriter or a singer, mm-hmm. even. Yeah, and you know, and now that's changed. It started changing in the '90s when Donna Summer and and uh, Peter Frampton and Steve Winwood moved to Nashville, and now there's just a whole long, long list of of people that live there in Nashville now that aren't country music and never have been. And right, you know, here you could come down and you know the Armadillo World headquarters, which was just a few blocks from here and um you know in the 70s it was the place to go it was an old national guard armory building and kind of a quonset hut looking thing and you know you would have frank zappa play then you'd have charlie daniels band play then you'd have jerry jeff walker and then you know you'd have you know arlo guthrie or somebody come in and and it was very eclectic you know yeah. it's where the cowboys and the hippies you know, hung out together. So you're saying that, that Austin is just op- more open-minded, and, and that's what's cool about it. That's what makes it fun. You know, genre-wise, it, it has been, and, and the city as, as a whole, too. And, you know, the city's growing, and, and, you know, you can see, you know, a little bit of change in the, in, you know, the personality of the city, but there's still that, you know, that old taproot from the Austin tree that's, you know, come here and be who you want to be and make the music that you, that you want to make. And, you know, there's been a ton of success stories out of this town most recently black pumas you know gary clark jr you know you're talking about 1985 when you know you saw tommy two-tone in 1986 there was a band here 10 buck three that had the future so bright i gotta wear shades right i didn't know they were from austin yeah that's cool yep and and they were living here when that hit and um you know charlie sexton you know had a big hit in the early 80s beat so lonely uh, you know, B.W. Stevenson was living here when he had My Maria. And, yeah, you know, that's, oh, wow. And, you know, Jerry Jeff Walker and the Los Gonzo Band, all these guys got, you know, major record deals. And, uh, you know, Michael Martin Murphy, you know, he was living here. And when I did he not know that. hit out of here, and, you know, we have, of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan um, yeah. came out of here. Spoon, Fastball. I mean, there's been a huge amount of success stories out of Austin, you know, and talk about, you know, this, you know, drummers. You know, we have Chris Layton you know, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right. and, you know, a member of Stevie Ray Vaughan in Double Trouble. And, you know, so there's huge there's music history, yeah, here. huge yeah. music history and, you know, of all genres and, you know, four blocks down the street, probably one block from where the Armadillo World headquarters was, is there's an apartment building and that's where right on the water and that's where Parker McCullum was living when, you know, Pretty Heart, you know, went number one nationwide on the country charts. He Got to start here at the Saxon Pub, which is in its 33rd year, and it's the premier listening room. Yeah. Um, 
you know, here in Austin. And, you know, Parker was playing Sunday nights, the 1030 at night slot, you know, for the for the newcomer. Wow. And, you know, so there's – and, of course, the broken spoke. I mean – you know, George Strait used to play there. Bob Wills, right, Ernest right. Tubb, you know. What's the whole Willie Nelson history about? Is it, didn't he used to live in Austin, or did he did – he, So there's a connection there, right? Yeah, so Willie went to went to Nashville and, you know, had amazing songs cut, you know, Crazy and Hello Walls and and uh, songs like that, and um, just got frustrated with the way Nashville was, you know, doing music business. And so he left – came back, you know, to Austin and started playing at the Armadillo World Headquarters and started making the music that he really wanted to make. That tell stories and that yeah, touch people. Yeah, be the Willie that we know now. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was 1974-ish. Um, you know, had the first 4th of July picnic out on Dripping Springs. And, you know, so Willie came back here because, you know, like the history of Austin, the bands and the artists here made the music that they wanted to make. Right. And, and versus going to other cities where, you know, you felt like you had to play certain styles of music to get a record deal. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they just made what they wanted to make. And Willie became the superstar he is because he was being who he wanted to be, who yeah. he is, rather. Yeah. And that's an important thing for any artist to remember is, you know, you can't try to be something else. You have to be who you are as a songwriter, as an artist, as a musician. And, you know, otherwise, I, you know, I think the, you know, the audience knows when someone's not being genuine. That's true. And, yeah. you know, somebody just gets up there on stage and go, hey, this is me. And it may be, you know, commercial sounding country, but that's yeah. who they are. And, or it may be, you know, Willie going, forget this, I'm going to just play some old, you know, I'm going to play some things that are just, you know, left of center back then. Yeah. And it wasn't right down the middle what, you know, Merle Haggard and George Jones and those guys are doing in the 70s. He goes, I'm just going to do yeah. what I want to do. I really miss that about country music now. And I remember back in the day when country radio, when you would listen to country radio or even pop radio, because there really, there was a time where there really wasn't very much country radio. They shared it with pop. So when you heard Dolly Parton or Kenny Rogers or something like that, it was on pop stations, but they were these country artists. And when you heard somebody, it sounded like them. You knew, oh, that's Charlie Daniels, not only from their voice, but what they sang about and the sound that they had. It was all different. Willie, when Willie came on, when Dolly yep. Parton, you knew who they were. You can't really say that today. I mean, and except for some people from Austin and people that have followed that that creative, like, I'm going to be who I am route. But a lot of acts coming out of Nashville. And I'm not dogging Nashville. I'm just saying that Nashville has a more of a formula. And I, personally, I have a hard time telling one artist from another that come out of Nashville. And I miss that about country. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot still so much great music, you know, coming out of Nashville. And, um, you know, every genre is cyclical and sometimes right. it can, you know, you take, you know, rock music. I mean, when was the last time we had an ACDC come out or, right. or yeah. an Aerosmith or Van Halen, you know, when, and people, that's, that's the thing, you know, among a lot of my friends is like, Hey, when right. is that next Guns N' Roses coming yeah. out or something? And, you know, genres are cyclical and sometimes they get a little stagnant and then the waters churn and all this, you know, f- these fresh artists and bands, you know, come out and, uh, you know, in the, in the, you know, late seventies, very early eighties, you know, uh, country music listeners were really getting tired of the contemporary sounding stuff. Right. Yeah. And then here comes George Strait. And then a few years later, Randy Travis and Clint Black and then Garth Brooks and, you know, the waters turn yeah. and, you know, it, it's, it's just cyclical and it, it happens, but there's, you know, there's a lot of great artists out of Nashville that I'm really, really digging right now. And there's some rock bands too, that are a little bit under the radar right now that I'm, you know, keeping my eye on that I really like what they're doing. And so, you know, I think you just kind of wait and let yeah. the, let it hit reset or refresh itself. Right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your personal journey. And when I knew you, you were opening for Canyon and you were in a band and all that. And then, then you became a tour manager. You, you were for BJ Thomas mm-hmm. and I forget who else was you were working for, uh, you know, uh, B.J. Thomas, Billy Joe Royal, did right. some shows with Shadezy. Hell, went out on the yeah. road with you guys. That's right. You yeah, know, a few years ago, just before I moved back 
uh, down here. I was out on the road with Colin Ray some. And um, was that something you wanted to do, or is that just an offer came your way and you thought, well, yeah. I'll do that for a while? So I moved. I moved to Nash, Nashville. It's easy to remember. I, I moved into rolled into town September second of ninety two. Nine two ninety two was the day I rolled oh, wow. into town. And um, you know, I wanted to write songs and be in the business end as well. You know, and there were guys that I saw that were writing hit songs and also working at record labels and being producers and that type of thing, doing, you know, the, the business end of it as well. And, um, I was working for, uh, a guy named Jerry Cupid and he was involved in a you know, publishing company. I knew him. Yep. Publishing company, you know, producer and, and he had a couple of partners in a management company and went to work for them. We had, um, Kevin Sharp, Ken Mellons, and we had also Gene Watson and Joel Sonye and was working for those guys. And, um, you know, my buddy Greg Dean was out on the road with him, and I'd gone on a couple of runs and gotten to know BJ and, you know, grew up big fan of BJ's music. And then, you know, Greg left to go work with you guys, right. and he called me up and said, man, do you want this job? I'm like, yes. You know, how cool would this be to go out on the road with, you know. How hard some, was that to transition into being a tour manager? Did you already know what to do, or did Greg, did somebody sort of yeah. say, here's, what, here's the procedure? You know, he, he gave me a bunch of checklists. And then also from working at the artist management company, you know, I was familiar with, you know, bus, le- you know, leasing buses yeah. and, and those things. But, you know, he gave me his formulas and said, hey, you know, just do these things. Here's how you yeah. cost out a run. Here's how much this run's going to cost. And, you yeah. know, here's your merch spreadsheets. And you know, So for those who don't know, a tour manager who might be new, a tour manager is somebody that goes out on the road with the group and they're sort of the hub of the wheel out on the road they uh the production people come to him the musicians come to him he's the pivoting he decides when the load-in is and he's basically the hotel booking the hotel where all the meals are coming from uh collecting the money uh, at the gig and basically all that stuff yeah for fuel yeah i tell people you know the 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 artist is the chairman of the board and the tour manager is the CEO, CFO, and COO, and sometimes HR. And all babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, HR, the politically correct part of uh, yeah. name. But it's, you know, you oversee everything. And, you know, it's you make sure that everything goes off, hopefully without a hitch. And you try to bring home as much money as you can out of the show as well. So you have to be very conscious about how much the hotels cost. Uh, you know, one thing that we used to do is Tennessee is so close to the Kentucky border if we were coming in from the north side, we would stop on the way back into Nashville and fill the bus up, you know, several hundred gallons of fuel in Kentucky because the fuel uh, tax was cheaper there. Sure, yeah, you and save a couple of hundred dollars or something like that. That's it, and you know, it's just, you know, you take care of it. It's, it's a very detail-oriented job, and you know, but first and foremost, you take care of the star, you take care of the band, and you take care of the money. Yeah, and there, <clears throat> there are a lot more things that I, I will honestly say a tour manager has to do other than like the musicians when they're not playing, they go home, they whatever, be with their families. But a tour manager has to uh, advance shows. They have to get on the phone and they have to make sure the hotels are there's 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 never really a day off, is there? Yeah, no, no, there's not. You know, you're you're an event planner. Yeah. And the event happens to be a concert. And there's, you know, for every, you know, Eric Church standing on the front of the stage, there's. 200 other people involved in that, you know, there's 10,000 hours of work uh, being put in for a 90 minute show. Yeah. And you're dealing with uh, musicians who aren't usually the most uh, responsible people in the world. So you're kind of like a, almost like a, a tour guide, babysitter sometimes, and got to solve problems. You do. You solve a lot of problems. You got to be a quick thinker. And man, I was really lucky. I was always out with, with groups that were really easy to work with. I never had a problem, a real problem person out on the road. So I was lucky. But Never had to put out a lot of fires. No, there's, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about, yeah. but you know, I'm, the, the artists I worked with and the bands that I worked with, you know, they were all pros. And other than somebody not being in a good mood one day, and that's anybody, you know, and and I, I luckily didn't have to, to yeah. deal with a lot of problem people. Right. Now, um, a few years after you had were working with us for a little bit, um, I had hooked up with you. We had lunch, and you, were, you had developed a company 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You had developed a company that basically was an app developer for tour managers. You had an app or a program or something, a computer program. That uh, so you you went not only just from tour manager, you you dove in down the rabbit hole of like, I'm going to make this easy for other tour managers, and you developed a computer program or an app that helped out tour managers. Yes, for a know, couple of years mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah, and you know, in 1997, when I was working, you know, for Jerry Cupid, um, we were in a meeting talking about ways to promote our artists and such, and you know, back then it was just print out a, a quarterly fan club newsletter and mail that out and such. And and I looked at them and said, I don't know what this new internet thing is, but it's cool and we need to be on it. And they said, okay, your idea, you got to figure it out. And I found a program and I learned how to build artist websites. And so I was putting on, you know, websites for Kevin Sharp, Ken Mellons, Gene Watson and such, and then went to work for BJ and got his website up and running, then, you know, e-commerce. And that was very, very, very early on. When people and, really didn't trust the internet as far right. as putting their credit card on there and things like yep. that. It was like a little sketchy. Yep. And so in uh, 08, I got off the road and uh, started a, a web development company with a guy. And we started out doing websites and such. And then built. we were also building a, a system for booking agencies. And, right. um, you know, we built a tour management system. Um, and, you know, we, we were really industry agnostic. But because I had been in the music business so long... Uh, you know, I'd run into people going, hey, you know, who you out on the road with? Well, I'm off the road now, and I have this, you know, this uh, web development company. And they're like, oh, man, I need a website. I need this. And then, you know, about a year and a half, two years later, you know, iPhones came out and then Androids. And so, uh, you know, we started developing apps and such. So, And that's when uh, I talked to you then, and you had just gotten back from India where you were working with some app des- mm-hmm. uh, developers or something. Yeah, like we, you know, I'm still a minority partner in the company. I'm not there day to day, obviously. And, um, but we have two offices, one in Nashville and the other one in India. And there's, uh, about a hundred people over in India, you know, they're full-time employees. They're, oh, they're still going or yeah. was that, oh, yeah. it's still going. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're, they're offshore, but they're not outsourced. They're full-time employees and it's about 25 people in Nashville. And they so. just basically work on the apps and make corrections and yeah, build things the from the ground up and, or sometimes, you know, take over projects and, you know, and fix things. and, wow. and, and See, when I came here today, I did not know that you were still doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that you had moved on from that and you were just just doing the BMI thing. Well, I don't, you know, really don't, other than just, you know, partner meetings and things like that, you know, uh, just keeping up with the business side of it. it it's really not something that, um, you know, I'm not involved day to day. Yeah, um, right. But, you know, I'm still, you know, minority shareholder now. And, you know, I was looking to make a move back to Texas. Right. And I'd been at that point in Nashville about 25 years, you know, away from family. And, you know, you miss a lot, as you know, um, you know, touring and then living far away, you miss a lot of things. And so I started traveling back and forth to Austin in about, you know, you know about um, 2017, yeah. going back and forth. And I had... Uh, also gone to work for one of our one of our software clients, Glow Motion Technologies, building a sales team and, and, and global operations, and got to do four halftime Super Bowl Super Bowl halftime shows with them. We did two Drake tours, uh, Twenty One Pilots, Sean yeah, Mendez, Ariana Grande. You. you were working with Twenty One Pilots. Yeah, really cool. and so set was, staging or something like that. Yeah, it was lighting. lighting it was yeah. controlled LED lighting. It started with wristbands and then went to. You know, to set pieces and such. And I was flying back and forth to Austin looking for a strategic move back. So I had, you know, the music background. I had the tech background. And this is a city that has a very large industry of both, you know, very large uh, opportunities. And um, I left. I had lunch with an artist here, uh, Kyle Park. Uh, and I got on the plane, landed in Nashville. And when I turned, this was, I think this was October of 2018. When I turned my phone on after we landed, it was a text from him that popped up and he said, have you seen this? And I clicked on it and it was from, you know, it was about an hour old. It was a press release. It says BMI to open office in Austin. And, you know, it said Jody Williams and Mason Hunter to, uh, you know, be, uh, be you know, t- head of talent acquisition for the, for the position. And so I'd known Mason at that point for 10 years, um, and, you know, known Jody personally um, for about three years and, you know, of course knew who he was. And so I called Mason and said, man, I'm really interested in this job because I wanted to get back to Texas and, you know, be closer to family and be able to see those things. You know, I'm a couple hours away from, 
you know, family now, and it's easy to just jump in the car on a Saturday yeah. morning. If you need to get back Saturday evening, you can. And you know, I was the I was the lucky guy that that uh, you got the, the job. Right, you contacted the right person at the right time for you personally and for the BMI office here. Yeah, and it's it's been incredible. You know, I, I still have all my connections in Nashville that I still use, and you know, have my experiences. You know, as a songwriter, you know, I've had songs cut, no big hits yet, but. Um, you know, so I know what it's like to register your songs with the PRO and how, you know, yeah. and mechanical license and, and all those different pieces of the songwriter and publisher side of the business yeah. and and plus writing songs and, and being a musician. And, you know, so I really connect on that level with the artists down here. And, you know, we're strictly a creative office here. So we basically yeah. have four big, you know, uh, initiatives. One is, you know, day-to-day uh, affiliate relations and you know that's what the established BMI you know affiliates down here there's about 2,000 in Austin there's about wow. 60,000 total in Texas that's you know songwriters and publishers yeah um, look for new talent which there's some amazing talent down here yeah and um, that's what BMI does here is it like mm-hmm. a talent like a um, yeah I'm constantly on the, kind of all always looking for new talent and you know getting them affiliated hopefully with BMI and um, then you know, look for new opportunities. You know, we've started showcases here. We do a monthly uh, songwriter showcase at the Saxon Pub. Wow. We just had our first rap and hip-hop showcase uh, a few months ago. I mean, it's a very big up-and-coming rap and hip-hop market here. Uh, you know, Dallas and Houston has had a lot of success stories. I'm, you know, hoping to find that big rap and hip-hop success story out of Austin. Um, we also started a, a Spotify playlist called the BMI Texas 10. Um, and then we just build, yeah. And we, and we, you know, that comes out once a month and the first Tuesday of each month. And then, you know, just look for new opportunities. I mean, I build a brand rather, you know, I'm, um, you know, on the, you know, I'm a advisor for the black, you know, for black fret here, which, you know, gives grants to 20 artists a year and, you know, monetary grants to help them in their career. Um, involved with Austin Community College with their school of music business and curriculum advisory board. I'm on the, I'm a board advisor for, you know, the Texas Grammy chapter. So it's all right. these places that, you know, we're just building, you know, the BMI presence. And that's awesome. Yeah. So we're, um, so we opened up, you know, opened up the office. I started the job in February of 2019. And we announced the office during South by, you know, the address. Mm-hmm. And the press release came out about me, you know, being hired. And um, that was in March of 2019 during South by. And so, um, and you're talking you know, about South by Southwest, South which by is Southwest. a big yep. uh, concert that you have down here. Yeah, and so you know, as date of recording here, um, South by is in you know just a couple of weeks, and right. so it'll be our third year anniversary. And you know, we've we've been involved since South by since 1987, since it started. Uh, we have a stage at ACL Fest for 20 of the 21 years. Um, you know, so we have really really deep roots uh, here in Austin. You know, we BMI's been coming back in Fort Austin since 1970. In the conference room here, I have some great pictures from a music business conference we did in 1974 that uh, entertainment attorney Mike Tollison, who was involved in Willie's first 4th of July picnic, wow. um, you know, in 74, 75. And he gave me these pictures and, you know, it's Willie and it's Roger Sovine and Francis Preston. And, you know, it's just really cool to see wow. those old black and white pictures of, you know, BMI. How does it feel that you're here now? You're you're the creative director here at BMI. I mean, that must be a, a great buzz. It is, and you know, Keats being it's it's a little twofold. You know, it's it's BMI is such an incredible company, and I love working with all my colleagues. And the culture of the company is absolutely incredible. And we, you know, we just really care about the songwriters and the creators. And and then there's a side of me that, you know, that's a Texan, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I'm glad to be back in my home state, and I get to you know, help, you know, artists making music that are, you know, in Texas and from Texas and, yeah. and such. And, you know, to get to, you know, Johnny Bush and I became really great friends before he passed away. And I grew up listening to his music. And that's, you know, that's been one of the cool things about it is, as well. And, you know, a lot of the, the old guard down here, you know, the, you know, yeah. Gary P. That's Nunn. them going by right now, the old guard. They right, just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's incredible. You know, I get... You know, I get that career satisfaction of working with such an amazing company and then, 
you know, and you just got married a fan recently, of Texas didn't music. You? Uh, get married I, in a few weeks. Oh, yeah, oh, that's right. She was your fiance that we met uh, yeah. a little while back. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, getting married in a few weeks. Thank you. And um, we're yeah, all so, gonna honeymoon. Well, we're gonna. There's a resort we're going to here in Texas. You know, with we've we've had situations of friends who have had to, you know, stay in quarantine hotels in oh, foreign right, countries. Yeah. You know, and we just don't want to risk that right don't want now. To do that. Yeah. yeah. So we'll do. You know, we'll do some out of the country thing when. Yeah. You know, maybe in a year or two or something. So, thank you. That's um, one other thing I want to close on is um, what advice you might have for some young, uh, let's say, musicians, songwriters. That that uh, it's, a diff- it's a whole different climate now than it used to be. You know, the the old model was you know you had a manager or you talked to some a producer and you got a record deal and they gave you money to make a record and blah 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 and you played it on radio now it's a whole different thing you know what what advice would you have for young people now i know you mentioned earlier about be yourself and mm-hmm. be honest and that kind of thing but beyond that um how would you uh how would you inspire somebody to just start a new career who doesn't know what to expect it all goes back to the song and you know write the best songs you absolutely can and you know uh, that magical song, I mean, you guys saw it with Amazed. Mm-hmm. And you guys have recorded and released a bunch of incredible songs. You know, when Amazed came out, it was, it just hockey sticked. You know, yeah. it, it, it's, an, it's a great song. And good songs are okay, but, you know, write a great song. And, and that just doesn't happen overnight. You know, no. that's something you have to work at and work at and work at. Work at it yeah. like a job, right? It, it is. And, you know, outside of, you know, just keep writing and find that great song. And, but also, you know, work on your live show. You know, one of the big things down here is I've seen is, you know, Parker McCollum's a great story, you know, Randy Rogers, and, and it goes all the way back, you know, to Jerry Jeff Walker, some people like that, that they were writing great songs. They built a live audience. And, and nowadays, you know, they're, get your streaming numbers up, get your Instagram, social media, you know, followers up and TikTok, uh, like you mentioned, put little snippets on TikTok mm-hmm. to but, get interest to draw them back to Spotify or whatever. Right? Yeah. You, know, you know, but get out and play live and build an audience, you know? And if, if you find that you're going out and playing and playing and playing and, and, you know, play often and, um, you know, and your crowd's not getting bigger, um, you know, look at your songs. Look at how tight your band is. Look at how well you're singing, you know? And there's vocal coaches. Just like if you want to learn how to play guitar better, you can go find you a guitar teacher. And I know really great guitar players that still go get lessons from someone that they admire just to keep getting better at their craft. I tell these singers, you know, yeah, it's, it's not, it's, there's nothing wrong if you go to a vocal coach. You learn how to sing better. You know, imagine going out and, you know, having a... a a string of hit records and you're out doing 100 120 shows a year you want to make sure you're singing correctly right. and you know i mean up until tom brady retired i mean he had a quarterback coach there's an o-line coach there's a strength coach there's a head coach you know everybody has coaches right and um you know so they have work help. they have support they have they have support they have somebody from the outside looking in yeah and um you know so work on your show work on your but it all begins with a song right write those songs hit song great songs right. <laughs> And create a vibe and tell your story and, and uh, yeah, just keep people coming back. Yeah. And that, and that will hopefully, even with the, you know, climate of today of, of um, streaming and all that, hopefully that will grow and grow and grow and it'll be a thing, you know, mm-hmm. before you know it. Yep. And the great thing about, you know, these digital platforms are at your fingertips now. So, right. you know, you can start your, your band here in Austin and, and play the clubs and, you know, start expanding and going to Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and et cetera, and start, you know, building your audience and putting out music yourself. And, you know, I have, when I talk to labels, you know, one thing they want to see is they want to see their Spotify numbers and Instagram numbers and what their shows are like. And that's not every single case, you know, as you know, uh, you know, you can, there's a thousand different ways somebody can be discovered, but I think writing great songs, putting on a great show, building your audience is, is foundational no right. matter what. That is very true. Well, what, um, one more question. What, what would you call the, I've noticed every time I've come to Austin, there's a kind of a, 
the style of music here is there's I can't quite put a finger on it, but there is something. There's something about mixing the old country with sort of a little bit of uh, south southwest Tex-Mex. I, I don't know what you call it, but uh, yeah. What would you? How would you put a finger on it? How would you describe the Austin? music vibe i would just say it's the austin sound but it's also the the hub of a big wheel you know it's where a lot of you know people from all over texas have moved here and they bring you know their influence from west texas their influence from south texas you know you had a big influx of west texas guys you know in the 70s with joe ely in the early 80s you know um and alejandro escovedo and and such and you know the the flatlanders with you know, Jim Dale Gilmore and, and Joe and Butch Hancock. And, you know, they brought their sound. And then you have the guys from South Texas that bring their sound. You have the guys from, you know, from, you know, Beaumont, Beaumont Port Arthur area that, you know, has a little Cajun mix in it. And so the fact that so Austin a is a everything. little more open-minded mm-hmm. helps with that genre a little bit. You know, yeah, open it does. It up. And you can make the music that you want. And people move here because they want to make the music that they want to make. And, you know, they, this, is, this is where they all congregate. Yeah. And they bring, you know, where they grew up, they bring those styles and influences, and they end up here. I noticed uh, when I walked in here, um, there's a writer's room here at BMI. Yes. You encourage uh, writers to join BMI and then come in here and just come hang out, write, mm-hmm. get together, create songs. It's a, yeah. it's a very nurturing kind of uh, feeling here. It is. You know, we have a great writer's room, and if it's a larger group, we put them in the you know, in the, in the conference room and, you know, pre COVID, um, it was very busy and it'll be busy again. Um, but you know, we're right on South Congress and, you know, a lot of glass overlooking South Congress and you know, it was the coolest part of Austin and we're right in the middle of it, you know, and, yeah. and, and uh, I've been here a lot. I've been here to Austin a lot, but I have not seen this part of it. This, this yeah. Congress street here, I've always ridden my one wheel kind of down by the river and downtown, but I don't think I've ever seen this area here. It's really, really inspiring. And it's been more developed too, you know, between, you know, between here, you know, really the Continental Club, you can see the Continental Club out of the corner of the office over here. Um, from, you know, the Continental Club almost down to Riverside Drive, you know, they tore down some buildings and there's this huge complex with retail and restaurants and there's a Soho house here now, you know, so it's wow. like a lot of cool cities where people want to live that are growing um you know there's there's change and yeah uh but it's, to me it still has that cool vibe you know it's joe nick potoski who one of the you know, incredible journalists here you know texas monthly and he's written a ton of books stevie ray vaughn and and willie nelson and such he put out a great book a few years ago called um austin to atx it's kind of how austin became you know that's what everybody calls it atx how it became this cool city and it oh okay I see. and he was he and i were talking and you know the, the old saying is you know a town is only as coolest as as coolest as it will ever be is the day you move there you know then you <laughs> then you see the change start going and you know the broken spoke on south lamar basically used to be almost be out in the country and when they opened up in the 60s and Joe Nick was like, you know, you can look at it two ways. There's, you know, you're, if you're an old cat here in town, you can go, man, I can't believe there's two apartment buildings on, there's apartment buildings on either side of, <laughs> of the broken spoke. He said, then the new people come here and go, man, how cool is that? There's a dance hall, honky tonk in between these two apartment buildings. So right. it's, <laughs> it's all dependent on when you started, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So, you know, Austin wow. is, to me is still just as cool as it was. And I've been coming here since the seventies and uh, it's a great town. Love being here. I've always loved Austin. Yeah. It's really great. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with me and talking with me about your life and your career and Austin and all that. I think I'm going to go get some uh, good local Austin food as soon as I leave here. Yeah, there you go. Well, Keach, thanks so much, buddy. It's always great seeing you, and thanks for over 30 years of friendship, my friend. You bet. We'll see you next time. You got it. See you.